0: Hey out there, welcome back to the Zelosophy podcast. This is the first episode of the year 2020. Interestingly enough, it's also episode 20 of the Zelosophy podcast. So welcome back, I hope you had great holidays And you're excited for the new year as I am. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to do a quick thing on my soapbox. After the last episode with Scott Walter, I received my first uh, hate-filled review of anything I've ever done, which was kind of funny and silly. Um, And the reason I bring it up is because I think it's a teachable moment, right? Like anybody can pick apart anything that anybody else does. We all have that ability. It's a choice we all make. I'm not sure why people make that choice, but some people do. Uh to me, it's about like just trying I, my thing that that I live by is that it's none of my business what other people think of me. So I don't really read reviews another good or bad. I'm just trying to do the best that I can and uh spread the messages that I think need to be spread out there. So anybody's well welcome to criticize or not. Um but it, I think I find it sad actually for this person that uh they or anybody that does this that lives that way. In such a hate-filled way that all they do is pick apart stuff that other people do instead of focusing on themselves. And really, I bring it up because this is really the heart of what philosophy is about. This is not a self-help movement. You don't need help. What you need is awareness and making good choices. And that's what I talk about. That's what I write about. Uh, and that's what I'm developing a TV show about now here at Lex Media. So, you know, I we, have, we all have people like this in our lives. I have a dad and a brother-in-law. They're both amazing men. I love them both dearly. They love to sit in front of the TV and, you know, pick apart the people that are on there or pick apart the people that the people on TV are talking about. And uh, I find it weird and annoying. So I just leave the room and then I talk to them about other stuff. Uh, but we all have people that do that. And again, guys, this is a choice, right? Like, I choose to live a positive life, spread positivity, and try and be my best and encourage other people to do the same. That's all this is. So you're welcome to criticize or or think whatever you want about it. Like I said, that's none of my business. Having said that, that's enough soapbox for today. Uh, on the episode today, our guest is Florence Del Santo, who is the executive director of Lex Media. Um, And I thought we were going to do sort of a little advertorial of Lex Media today because I'm now doing the podcast here. I'm developing a TV show here. And we will get into that at the end of the podcast because it's an amazing place, an amazing resource for residents and members of organizations in Lexington, Massachusetts. But it turns out that Florence has a really interesting story that we're going to hear about today. She used to work for CNN and NBC. She covered war zones, which is interesting given what's going on in the world today. Uh, we just started a war with Iran, so maybe we'll talk to her about that. She's lived in Beirut and Russia. She's won a Pe- Peabody Award. And she opened up the sea. C- and and bureau in washington dc so uh this is an amazing person we're very lucky to have her and lucky that she's welcomed me into the lex media family so without further ado uh florence del santo coming right at you next Yes, maybe we can make the world a brighter place. Wouldn't that be nice, Florence?
1: I try to make it brighter, even (laughs) in my mind, every day.
0: Right, well, that's where we have to start, (laughs) isn't it? If we can't see it there, then we have no hope of making it brighter in the real world.
1: I do have those conversations. You can't change everything, but you can change how you feel about things, and you can change, and that change brings a wider change. You know, other people see your example.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a choice how you view things, right? You missed the intro that I recorded before, but it was a whole sort of funny and kind of sad part about this uh, person who destroyed me and Scott after the last podcast
1: uh, Oh, with really? A ba- with a bad <laughs>
0: review. And apparently he does that to Scott all the time. But you know, it's the thing is like we have a choice to pick other people apart and other things apart, or we have a choice to focus on ourselves and try to do the best that we can in hopes that other people follow our lead.
1: Well, now I'm now I'm nervous, yeah. no, knowing that you have that kind of <laughs> critic out there listening to us. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if he's listening anymore. And
0: and and as I said in the intro, I'll say it to you again: it's none of our business what other people think of us, right? My business is what I think of myself, and I try to keep that as positive as I can. That's a hard enough battle for me. (laughs) Uh, I don't think you've read my book yet, but there's a whole chapter. Of course I've read your book. You have? Yes. So have you read the chapter on self-criticism, which most people— Isn't it
1: one of the first chapters?
0: uh, Chapter 16 called Critics' Choice, uh, which is a whole chapter about how self-criticism is a very dangerous place to stay. And honest but empathetic self-evaluation is something I try and— spread and and encourage people to do but that can go really far and for me personally I can get into a really bad self-critical downward spiral and then that's not a good place for me to to try and bring light to the world right
1: (laughs) for every bad thing you say about yourself you need to immediately think of something positive Ooh, that's a good one
0: I, I do try to do that. I mean, one of the practices that I say in the book and that I try and do is when I get in that place, sometimes I actually literally say out loud, stop.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that it stops the cycle and then I can reset. It's like a hard reboot.
1: Better than hitting your head against the wall.
0: Yes. Sometimes <laughs> that's necessary, but uh, as I get older, not, not as much. Um, so here we are. Here here you are. You are the executive director of Lex Media. Um, and that's why I'm here. Well, that's not why I'm here, but uh, because of your blessing, I'm able to be here, and because you um, you've welcomed me into this building to record this podcast and to start developing a TV show. And so, I, towards the end, I want to get a little bit into that, so that we can tell people what how great this place is and what the opportunity is for local residents and members of organizations like me, because I'm not a Lexington resident, but I am a Lexington Freemason, so I'm a member here. And I have access to all this amazing equipment. Um, and again, I don't want to get too much into it, but I had this awesome training with Terry last night who showed me the podcast software, and he showed me how to use these incredible cameras that I can now check out, and something that I, at my point of this this point in my career, I wouldn't be able to afford to use that type of equipment. But because you guys are here doing this great community thing, um, we have access to incredible things here. So it is
1: I, I know that you want to talk about this later, but let me just throw in here that community access centers and media centers, because they're they're both some has, we're changing the titling to media media centers, like media's been that way for a while. But these are hidden gems in the community. A lot of people, a lot of time people don't know what is there. And it's all stuck in that kind of, you know, 1970s, 1980s Wayne's World. Wayne's World, World, right. That's what everybody thinks of, right? Which is true. I mean, but the thing about Wayne's World is they were able to, even though it was silly, it was in a basement, and the guys thought they were really cool and they were really silly, they were able to say and do what they want and put it on TV. Right. So that still exists, but what has changed is the the industry and the equipment used in this industry. So now community access centers do have equipment that is state of the art because where hmm. you know broadcast equipment has gotten cheaper and it's become more affordable uh, for access. Centers. You know, I,
0: while I was sitting there with Terry last night, he's teaching me this camera. I was literally blown away, and I kept saying, "I can't believe." how amazing this little camera is mm-hmm. and what it can do and how automated it is for a novice like me because although I, more than most people, I come from the entertainment industry and I did co-produce a short film at one point in my career and I've done some a little bit of production work. Like, I'm a novice about actually using cameras, so I want that auto on and want it to do all its cool stuff all on its own so that I don't have to figure it out.
1: And I came from the broadcast industry where, you know, we had camera people and we had sound people and we have lighting people. And And so... I never had to learn that technical side of the industry. Right. And suddenly I'm in an access center. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And know. now you almost don't <laughs> need
0: to. Well, one, because you have such great staff here that knows the real technical nuts and bolts. But also for you to take that camera out and go shoot something is so easy. It's weird. That was like the takeaway I got. I was like, this is strange because mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. like this whole professional setup now. And I can go shoot anything. And then also the thing that's changed is obviously YouTube, which you guys use a lot here, and that... It's not just in your local area like Wayne's world was, but now you can take that message to I the know. entire world.
1: I feel like I got really lucky there, yeah, you know, so, having having left networks to go to a smaller audience, and then all of a sudden that audience became
0: worldwide yeah, so let me ask you, how dare you <laughs> let citizens talk to the whole world? I mean, what are we doing here right like no obviously I'm being silly, but like it, it, it's uh you know, the, I asked the question because I want people to think of that. Like, we all have the opportunity to spread positive messages. Hopefully, we choose to spread positive messages. There are still many people who are choosing to spread negative messages. We see that everywhere. And we can't control them, so they get to choose what they want to do. But we get to choose what we want to put out there.
1: Well, this goes back to what we said right off the top, and that people are allowed to say whatever they want on access channels. Right. Those things can be positive or those things can be negative, but it's not my place to control that content at all. Right. And this can be a great platform, you know, to help other people.
0: Yeah. Well, that's sort of, uh, that's obviously what I'm trying to do. That's, I got to, uh, we're not talking about my story today, but uh, I got to the place in my life where I was in the entertainment business and I just didn't want to build bank accounts and egos anymore and I wanted to do something positive. So eventually I've, Figured out a lot of different things, which led me to this podcast and now to a TV show. You, you're and,
1: happier? You feel better?
0: I do. Um, it's a struggle. It's not easy to do that, right? Because I've gone so far outside the norm of what people do that, um, you know, it's there, there's a battle to be waged there to get yourself again that negative self-talk, and am I crazy? Is this really gonna work? Does anybody care?
1: Right, the elevator pitch, oh, what do you do now? Yeah, um, right. I spread positive messages.
0: Yeah, right, they're like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> good luck, <laughs> good luck with that Z or whatever you call yourself, big shot, right, so. Um, How's but, that going for you? Yeah, right? exactly. So far, it's so good. I mean, you know, the real the real crux of this is for me to get to kids, and that's why um, you know, I'm developing the T V show that way, I do the podcast this way. In my personal life, I don't have as clean of a mouth as I do here in the studio because I want to make, shocked, this, shocked I make yes. this accessible <laughs> for kids and yeah. and mostly for their parents. So their parents aren't like, What are you why are you listening to that guy? Right? You know, so I, I try and keep it clean and positive because when I all of this is for me to go to schools and talk to kids about positivity and that, hey, you know, we have a choice. We can work together or not. And uh, we're in this together, whether we like it or not, so maybe we should act like it. And I've had some amazing feedback from kids at schools telling me that, you know, I really said some things that made them reconsider how they're living their lives and the choices that they make. And, and to me, that's worth more than any Absolutely. money I'll ever make doing Absolutely.
1: this. Absolutely. If, if you can keep spreading that message and afford to spread the message, apparently on your own dime, yeah well that's it's, great it's not been easy. <laughs> the, the
0: dimes are rubbing together here, but we're we're making it work we're getting by and uh and we're here to help yes, in fact um soon i'll be launching next week here's a little teaser guys uh the uh rough cut pilot of my show that I shot on my phone, not on your nice equipment. Oh my God. Um, uh, because um, I'm going to put a GoFundMe up to try and get people to help me uh, fund that show so that I can put time towards developing that show and really focus on it, because I think there's something really good there. But again, this is enough about me. I know know you're shy, too. By the way, I am. I've worked very hard, obviously, to get over that. Let's talk about you. If Um, we must. You've got a very interesting background in broadcast news. You uh, worked for CNN and NBC, and you you opened the the news bureau for CNN in Washington D.C. That's not quite true. Oh, no. Okay, I I, I opened. The, we'll blame Julie, the producer, <laughs> for that one. Got, <laughs> got, bad got that info one wrong. <laughs> got bad no, info there. No, I,
1: I I I was working for the Christian Science Monitor at that oh, point, okay. and I was I went to D.C. and started working with um, the the monitor print reporters to do television pieces. So that was that was the bureau. I opened this, the Christian Science Monitor Bureau yeah. in D.C.
0: But you've also done a lot of work overseas, and I kind of want to get into that because it's very topical for today, right? We just are on the verge now of a war with Iran, it's which is various, a very crazy, dangerous it, thing. It's
1: very scary. This is a very dangerous, yeah. really and, dangerous turn of events, and,
0: I think. you know, I don't want to play any blame games, I, but I do want to say that my friends in the military have been telling me for years that this has come and I've been just praying and hoping that it wouldn't, and uh, now here we are. But you've spent time in Beirut and Russia, and some other places that people would be frightened to death to go to to report about what goes on there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, I started. Um, I was lucky right out of the um, right out of the cage that I that CNN was starting the year I graduated college. Mm. So now you know how old I am, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, they actually recruited. CNN came to Syracuse University and recruited, oh, right. and at that point, I was—I um, went in as an editor. I used to edit tape, um, so so CNN was starting. I was there within the first six months of starting, which was a very exciting time. Wow! Because they, you know, they were—we ju- were still defining what CNN was going to be, sure. and the networks: ABC, CBS, um, NBC weren't really accepting what CNN was doing yet because the idea was that he could, you know, Ted Turner could pick anyone up and make them talent.
0: Well, R- right. I, I, I want to. Um, also, it was very groundbreaking too because gra- at the time. Like now we take the internet for granted, for example, and Amazon. When the Amazon launched, everyone was like, nobody's going to buy stuff online like that. And when CNN launched, people were like, nobody's going to watch news all day, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and uh, now there are many people that only watch news well, all day, and well, they do nothing else. True. Well,
1: the <laughs> challenge was 24 hours a day. How can, what can you say for 24 hours a day? Right. And so the networks did call us Chicken Noodle News is what, is what <laughs> CNN was known as when I started. And I just wanted to clarify, when I said he could take anyone and make them talent, what I meant is you didn't have to be Walter Cronkite to be right. on the air at, right. at uh, CNN. Right. Um, you know, that has all changed. CNN has different. Sure. So, so out of the gate, I got a start in, um, in a newsroom, wow. which I was, you know, I studied journalism. I was very excited about this. You know, I was one of those people who thought that news really mattered, and I'm still offended when people say, oh, it's fake news. Oh, this isn't right. Or, or you know, this organization has a right or a left wing um, bend to it because, you know, I came up in the era that news was – New objective. Was it was actually ab- news. It was objective, yeah, right? And you know, with the fairness doctrine in mind, you showed both sides of a story. Right. You did not take a side on the story, right. which is, you know, we have devolved to that today. And
0: yeah, I mean, it's almost only taking sides, and there's no nothing, almost nothing objective anymore. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, and this might offend you, but I haven't watched the news regularly in over in almost seven years because of that and and i made a a really hard choice that i'd rather be underinformed than mad or sad all the time yeah. because of the coloring of the news and the opinions about the news i'd love to sit down and just hear the reporting of the news i agree it would be great right that's why you know al jazeera over the last years has become an interesting player in that because they're a lot more objective and they don't really throw their opinions around like everybody else does. Well, I don't know. I, I, don't, know I, I don't know that that's true because <laughs> I don't, I don't, don't watch that. them either. <laughs> I don't know that that's
1: true either. Um, do you read papers? Did you go back to read? Because I actually watch less broadcast news and read more papers now.
0: I do sometimes uh, because my dad gets the Herald. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but again, it's so colored with opinion. It's hard. I, I, re- I try and focus and just get the information and weed out the opinions, right? Um, and and I've become better at that for sure.
1: And I think that's why you need to read a variety or watch a variety of stations, I
0: think, um, so So that
1: you can make you know more informed decisions, and you can see both sides yeah. of an issue. Uh, you know, the last thing I'll say is it just breaks my heart. It just breaks yeah. my heart that we're at this stage we are today.
0: I, I I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I hope that one day we can sort of go back to. The innocence of the news of just reporting this is what happened you can now make your own opinions and choices about that instead of because here's the thing what news has become is they use it as a platform to pit us against each other to show us that we're divided, but it's not really true. I
1: don't know if that's accurate. I think what it really is is a money-making arm of the entertainment industry. Absolutely. And it did not used to be.
0: That is undeniable, and that's what it's about, right, It's ratings, and that's why they inflame people because that's what gets people to watch. Right. And so this all goes back to what we started with. It's up to us to make the choices about what we watch right and so we don't have to watch these crap reality shows that show the worst of humanity <laughs> you, but but we do you know, all your biases are showing it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. they, you're, they not a, you're not I, a bachelor fan I'm <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an open book uh, no I do I watch American Pickers I love that reality show <laughs> shout out to those guys <laughs> I, I actually
1: don't watch any reality shows yeah
0: I you know what well, the thing is there's is, so
1: much good content out there there's right. so much finely produced content out there yeah. that and I, they're I really
0: smart about about how they make reality shows and specific news programming that's meant to color this. Like they, if you watch it, you will get it, uh, addicted to it. You get sucked in, and I've done that experiment with myself, and it's it's not pleasant. Then I'm all of a sudden I'm like, why am I watching? the you know the the uh, what was that show I watched when I went to Australia? It was about like you meet your uh, you meet your spouse at the altar, and then they see. 90 day fiance? Yeah, I forget oh what it was called God. there, but it was something like that. Like oh, and then okay. they see if it works. Oh, and it's like a God. public experiment on the worst of humanity. I so. don't
1: know. I, I just don't <laughs> I just don't think I need to share all of my personal life with people on the air.
0: No, but you know, we are the other thing that's going on in the world and the good, the you know, the the bad side of everybody having access to have a platform and speak, is that people are becoming even more obsessed everybody with Everybody has a platform being, and everyone speaks. <laughs> well, and they, But they don't speak to, for their own benefit and right. for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. They speak for the benefit of being famous. Um, and you know, I don't do this for that. I don't want to be famous. Uh, I, it's really far from what my natural state is. But I do this and I'm trying to become more famous because I'm actually trying to deliver a message that I think means something. Now, I guess everybody's doing that, right? Uh, that's, That's using a platform. They think that they're trying, that they're, they're, providing a message that's meaningful. You know, like, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a bikini influencer. That's meaningful. You know,
1: meaningful. I, I, I still think a lot of that is money-driven. I mean, For sure. you know, become an influencer so that you get sponsors, you know, yeah. so you it's a career product. now. It's just...
0: I, it's a career now. There are people that make a lot of money doing that. I know,
1: that. I know. It's a lot of work, though.
0: And it is. Uh, and also, like, you know, the thing is, is that I think one of the things that we need to redefine in our society is the measure of success. I mean, we're so obsessed with money like, that's a part of success. It's not the whole picture. There are many people in the world that have tons of money and they're miserable, right? It's not, it doesn't, it really doesn't buy happiness. And it Did you see Succession? Happy. I didn't, but I, I heard good <laughs> things about it.
1: Talking about lots of money and miserable. Yes, it's yeah. a great series. Yeah.
0: Well, all right, let's get back off of that and back to Beirut. Okay, so well, how the I, heck so, did you end up there?
1: Well, Beirut is. <laughs> <laughs> and did you throw any rocks at anyone while you were there? Beirut Good was. Uh, you know that was just like folly of the youth. You know, I if someone told me I'd be 23 and living in Beirut, I would have, like are you crazy. No. Right. <laughs> it was not kind of on in my scope, but
0: especially as a young woman.
1: Yes, um, I during my time at CNN, I met some people who um, were. Overseas. Um, and through them, I met the foreign, the foreign editor at NBC and, you know, other people. I met people who were overseas. I had studied in England when I was um, in school, so I was always interested in going back overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this fantasy that one day Walter Cronkite would call me, that I, <laughs> I, I, that I personally would get a phone call, you know, Florence, Yeah. <laughs> We're wait, we're, so wait. that never happened. <laughs> um, we're ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> he did not call me, but you know who How did? How dare he? The foreign editor at NBC News called me. Wow. I was living in Washington at this point. I had transferred from Atlanta to Washington, and I was working for CNN, and I was an, a producer editor there, and uh, my phone rang one morning, and it was the foreign editor at NBC, and he said, we understand you're interested in working in Beirut, and I said- And (laughs) he said, well, if you, like, what are you doing now? We had a little talk. And I had met him before. He knew I was an editor. He said, you know, if you can leave by this date, we'll bring you to London. We'll give you training and we'll give you a contract to work in Beirut. So you have to realize Beirut was... Exploding, right? Literally, it was literally exploding. Yeah, but I didn't want to go when it, it was would.
0: sort of the for those younger people out there it was sort of the Syria of its day. Absolutely,
1: right. Um, I would have been, I would not have gone if I thought I was walking into a war zone. Right, but the conflict was over and the multinational force was going in, and so I knew that oh, if the multinational force is in, you know, it's retur- Beirut was returning to normal. So I, so I, so I jumped at it. And, you know, it was this, like, this weird fantasy thing that happened to me. All of a sudden, I'm living in, like, a gorgeous hotel in London. I'm working for NBC. I'm meeting all the people in the bureau. I'm, you know, I'm, I was just surrounded by so much um, Privilege. Mm. Um, privilege in terms of news gathering sure. You know, as opposed to CNN Where, you know, it's still pretty bare bones And you know, all of a sudden NBC I've got, you know Oh my God, I'm working for NBC um, So I went over to Beirut And as I was flying in I thought to myself Jeez, how long will it be Before I actually see someone with a machine gun? All right and when the plane landed oh, God. <laughs> at Beirut Airport, the doors opened and was. they came. They hey. came right on the plane. Oh yeah. boy! Wow. <laughs> you know, just kind of look us Welcome. all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just kind of look us all over. <laughs> and <laughs> and then um, and then NBC had a driver who met me there, and I went to the NBC bureau, and things were calm and you know relatively quiet for a while. You know, living in. What did
0: your parents think?
1: Well, that's an interesting question <laughs> because I came from a pretty strict Italian background. And my father was very much someone you listened to. Uh-huh. And I never would have thought that he would say what he said. But when NBC called me, I called my father and I said, yeah, I'm going to move to Beirut. And he said, well, you have to live your life.
0: Wow. I know. It was, it was kind of shocking. <laughs> so,
1: so I did. I got to Beirut and everything was, you know, I was adjusting to living in the Middle East, which... Um, you know there were buildings that, you know, had bombshells in them, and there were most buildings didn't have a lot Did of glass. Did you to wear and, a hammam or anything, or anything? I didn't. I didn't. I was respectful in that I would always wear. I would dress. I dress pretty conservatively anyway. Yeah. But you know I wouldn't show a lot of skin. But I. But I, I didn't have to wear anything special. Mm-hmm. Um, it was less conservative then than it is now. <laughs> um,
0: Ironically. Yeah.
1: And until the American embassy blew up, and then things started really getting crazy. Yeah, uh, For me living in Beirut. And, you know, it was a war zone. Yeah. And it stayed a war zone the whole time we were there. And I left um, after about two years.
0: So, reporting in a war zone and, and then bringing it back to what this podcast is about, like, what did you learn about life and people being there in, at that time?
1: Well, that life goes on. Mm. You know, we, you know, people would say, oh my God, how could you live in Beirut? It's so dangerous. How can you go to Mexico? It's filled with drug cartels. Right. You know, that is such a small part. Right. You know, life goes on. You yeah. know, people still fall in love. People have to do their food shopping. People go and have their hair done. They, right. they go to restaurants. They go to nightclubs. They have family friends. They have family dinners. The war doesn't define everything that happened in that country while
0: I was living there. Yeah. And it
1: still doesn't. Mm. And the same is true in Syria. And the same is, is true in Iraq. And, and, Iran. Well, and the mean, same is
0: true here. We've, we're in a political war here, right, in America, where the country is so divided. But I think the thing that people forget is that that is such a small percentage of what's actually going on in life of the hundreds of millions of people that live here. Most people are just living their lives and trying to do the best they can with what they have.
1: Right, and this is the same thing. You can let that fear keep you in bed and not get out of bed in the morning. right? Or you can say, okay... There's something there's something to be afraid of, but I have to go on. Right. So, you know, I was definitely not prepared for the things that I saw in Beirut. But I was also an editor. So I was not the person who ran toward the bang-bang. Got it. When something blew up, I stayed. And—, and again, I was young. I thought I was safe. I was, I was surrounded by NBC and, and <laughs> right. all, and, you know, NBC. As we fits. all do when right. we're young, yeah. no matter so I what I we're was doing, doing. I'm and, invincible. And, right, right. <laughs> I mean, would I go now? I I, I might. I don't know. But um, I'd go to Bay and I'd go some other places. But I hope you wouldn't
0: go to Iran right now. Something
1: blows blows up, and cameramen and producers and reporters run towards that conflict. I
0: know. It's a crazy profession.
1: It is crazy, and I don't think there's enough appreciation for how crazy that is. I stayed back at the edit room and waited for tape to come in. Right. I mean, then I had to do some crazy things, like we used to have to take the tape to um, a feed point because sure. you know there are only so many satellite feeds. And I did have to drive through Syrian territory to get to the to get to the feed point through the Shouf mountains, which was actually kind of crazy because you did know you do. had to cross the green line and I would just be sitting there with my tape and just like, okay, the driver's taking me,
0: taking me up the so mountain. So you would have a driver that would bring you. On a
1: motorcycle. I didn't mess, message. Come didn't on. Message.
0: Oh, my God. She's badass. Can I say that? Yeah, you can podcast? say that.
1: that, that was, it didn't seem badass at the time. It just seemed like what you had to do. i right. You know, well, that's t- that's what makes a badass, <laughs> <mess>, actually. <Yeah. laughs> but you're brave. You didn't have a lot of fear, or I was really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. there you go. Yeah, there we go. The the arrogance yeah, of y- again. Y- yeah, exactly. Young yeah. and
0: naive, and and I'm sure there was some fear there, but. At times in life you have to look past it to do what you're trying to do. Actually
1: I always wanted to have some fear. I always wanted to remember that this was a dangerous place. Yeah. That when, when the driver said, Oh, you know, you shouldn't go in that neighborhood today, I didn't go to that neighborhood. Right. You know, when you know, I listened to the advice around me and mm. I wanted to remember that it was dangerous because if you forget that, you know, you get kidnapped. You sure. you know, you end up in the wrong place right. at the wrong time. So
0: but with the Italian background and the name Del Santo, <laughs> which means for, of the saint. That's right. That's, uh, you know, you probably funny? had some pretty good guardian uh, angels I, looking I, after you, I would I have, imagine. I have always
1: felt that way. I have always yeah, felt that way. Same, I me too. Yes. I,
0: could, I could literally do a 10-hour podcast on the crazy stuff that has happened yeah. to me in life and how I should be dead a 100 times over.
1: No, I have to say, you know, the networks <laughs> were really good. I was working for NBC mostly at that time. And, um, you know, they sent you out when you needed to get out of the war zone um, if you got sick, they got you to, uh, you know, good hospitals. Yeah. I mean, they took care of their people. Right. Um, so that was one of the reasons I felt so and safe that was there is time, I felt protected.
0: That was at a time where they were doing it because it was the right thing to do, not right. because right. they were going to get right. sued Aussie. if they right. didn't, Right. In which right. is how most corporations operate now. Well, there's had, liability, so we have to do this. How about it's just the right thing to do?
1: And I had this <laughs> compelling feeling that I had to let people know what was going on.
0: Sure. You know, well, that, that, that's what that's what the whole news thing right. is, and reported right. thing is, right? right? It's a it's yeah. A, it
1: was, there was no ego. It wasn't money. It was like, oh my, people need to know this. It's a compulsion. People right. need to know this. Yeah, I mean, we need like, to educate people.
0: I used to um, sort of mentor younger people in the entertainment business that wanted to get into music or the film business, and I would tell them like, you know, this is your passion. Be careful because you know the passion you know gets tainted if, if you're in it you should really only do this if you feel like you have to.
1: Right. I had those journalism teachers who said, you're not going to make money. You're not going to have time for family and friends. You only do this if you are driven. Like, if you're worried about those things, drop out now. Right. And I would just sit there and think, who wouldn't want to do this? Right. Well, that's <laughs> you were
0: obviously the right person to do that. So how the heck did you get to Russia?
1: So after, um, after two years in Beirut, uh, my now husband, then fiancé, um, he was a cameraman with NBC. He said, you know, we we need to get out of here. And so NBC, when we were hoping for, like, maybe Paris would open up, you know, like. <laughs> right. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, like come we on. Did. <laughs> we did our time in <laughs> we, Beirut. Let's go. We did, we did, yeah. we, we did be our be time. <laughs> and they said, so well. We Switzerland or something. <laughs> they, they, uh, they actually said, well, you could go to Paris, uh-huh. um, but we won't give you a contract. Um,
0: uh, okay. You know,
1: so, you know, we'll give you a, a guaranteed number of days you'd work. But if you but if you want to stay on the NBC payroll, there's an opening coming up in Moscow.
0: Wow! Wow!
1: Yes. So what year was that? That was 1984. Whoa! Again, how old I am? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, just for
0: context, that's pre uh, pre, five years before the wall came down. Pre
1: Gorbachev. Gorbachev was, was not in power yet. Wow. So uh, long story short, <laughs> um, actually, I'll tell you one, one other father story. Yeah, please um, please. I, I always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, always um, I always called my father on Valentine's Day. Aww. And, you know, for years, uh, you know, that was just our thing. So um, and I said that I would stay in Beirut until the embassy said we had to evacuate. So when the embassy evacuated, I went with them my Mm -hmm. my now husband stayed behind to do some more work but i said i'm going and they they um shipped us to syria not syria (laughs) cyprus oh and um so i mean you can imagine this is a pretty this is a pretty i love cyprus (laughs) this is a pretty traumatic time though you know so you know i'm leaving my husband in a war zone i'm getting you know i'm being evacuated by the embassy and I haven't been in touch with my parents yet, and so I got to um, I got to Cyprus, and I called my father. And he goes, "Oh, I knew you'd remember me on Valentine's Day. Had <laughs> no idea there it was is Valentine's there Day."
0: You know, the guardian angels again remembered. And the next <laughs> thing God. I said to him
1: is, "I'm. Oh, we've left Beirut. We are not going to be living in Beirut anymore." He said, "Oh, that's good." He said, um, <laughs> I <bet he> did. <laughs> "We're we're we're moving to Russia." He said oh, okay. I said, and we're going to get married before we go. And he said, I'm going to put your mother on the phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is above my pay grade. <laughs> we're
0: going to have to talk to the boss about this one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's a funny story. So,
1: so we arrived in Moscow in, um, I think it was March of 84. Um, and as I said, um, the president at the time was Chernenko, who, mm. who died immediately as we got there. And it was just time for those, you know, those Russian funerals. It was really cold. yeah. Um, And then we, so we got to witness Gorbachev
0: coming into power. Wow.
1: Which was really exciting.
0: Wow. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I'm, not as old as you, but old enough to remember that time. As no one's as old as me. No one's as old as me. Some people. Somebody must be. <laughs> right? How did we all get here? <laughs> what happened? Exactly. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting time. And then, did how did you stay through the 1989 when no, the wall God, came down no. and all that stuff?
1: I stayed two and a half, as I refer to two and a half endless winters. Yeah, it was a right. long oh, time. That must have been so. Cold. I, I was not there when the wall came down. Right. Um, I. So I, you, I, uh, I came to. You were one Boston. of the
0: last journalists to be there, but before that stuff, before all everything changed in yeah, 1989. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was part of the press corps that was there to to see the change. Um, Moscow was hard to live in, though. I
0: bet you know Especially it was. Then.
1: It was not at war, but I found it much harder than Beirut.
0: Really? Because of uh, the the Russian we were, gangsters and things like that? No, or just, no, what we was No, we were it? isolated. Uh, we were
1: isolated. We lived in, you know, state-assigned housing. Right, and they watched and, everything
0: and controlled everything. And, and, and
1: there stuff. was, and there were, um, you know, there were guards that protected the area to keep us safe. You know, but that kept Also a, keep an eye on you, that kept, <laughs> but that, But that kept other Russians out. So right. it's very hard to build personal relationships. Right. So I had, you know, a great press corps. And, you know, right. and and again, you know, it was a great international community. And we, of course, we got to know some people. But it was, you know, everyday Russians did not really want to talk to American journalists at that time. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because they were scared of yes. what would yes. happen to exactly. them or in their yep. families. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Again, for those who weren't there at that time, it would be. Um, not it would be worse than now, but th- this is still going on in China, right? Like they control everything, and people are not at liberty to get access to news and talk to people and say whatever they want. And that was, it was Russia sad. back then was very it, it, much it was, like that. It
1: was also the uh, you know, it was sad to see how little the Russian people had. Yeah. So they you know the friends I did have would know that you know oh we're going you know we're going to Switzerland next week and they'd say. Oh, can you bring me back? You know, tampons. Can you bring me back? Here's a drawing of my foot. Can you get me a shoe this size? Oh, wow! I mean, it was really, it was really hard. Unbelievable. Um, you know, it's changed. That has changed drastically. But you know, that was very eye opening. That was very. It was kind of a lonely, cold time. But again, I was doing, I was doing the important work and getting yeah. the word out about this. You know, the new um, system coming into Russia. So, it, you know, personally, it was difficult. But it was a great story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What was the What was the biggest story you worked on at that time? Do you remember?
1: Oh, I'm sure it was Gorbachev. Gorbachev when he was named when he came president. Into yeah. Power. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. you were editing at that time. I was editing. Yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. my opportunity to produce came up right after that, and that's how I ended up um, back in the states. Is the Christian Science Monitor started a uh, television operation. Uh, You know, they they then started a much bigger operation, but I came on when they were producing um, weekly, well, they started off monthly, and then they went to weekly shows, and they were about international topics, and they would take three topics and really do long stories about them, and they hired me as a producer, and that's... And my the one place my husband never wanted to work was Washington as a cameraman, right. because you know you're going to press you're conference in press the hornet's conference. nest. Right. <laughs> so he he um, agreed to leave NBC because I got this opportunity at the Christian Science Monitor, but we were coming back to Boston. That's where the monitor is based, and right. he's from Boston, so I kept going to Boston. So I'm in Boston about 10 minutes, and they said, Hey, you have experience in Washington, and as I said previously, I worked for CNN in Washington. I said, yeah. And they said, well, you know, there's this reporter down there we'd like you to work with doing stories, um, you know, TV stories. And so they sent me to Washington. So I called Ken and said, well, what do you think about moving to Washington
0: instead? Oh, no. (laughs) That's a tough conversation.
1: (laughs) And so you did. Well, yeah, and so we did. And we have family there, and I was very happy living there and um, would still be there except that the Christian Science Monitor decided that they wanted to start a daily news program, and that's when we came to Boston, um, and and that's been a long time now.
0: Wow, wow. So you
1: came with the Christian Science Monitor and worked here in Boston for The Daily Show? Yes, wow, yes. Wow. World News with John Hart is the name of the show that I worked on, and here it is.
0: Well, There's there we go, the World to. Monitor <laughs> yeah. Television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. We're sitting here with awards. We got a, You've got a Peabody Award here, too, which is a, a very prestigious journalism award. And what did you get that for?
1: That was very exciting. Um Let's see. So when I got back to never seen one of these. I'm just staring at it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) After the um, monitor went under, they started. They stopped their daily news operation. I was a a freelance editor, freelance producer, in Boston, and um, I I did that for a while. Then I went to New England Cable News. Yeah. And I was at New England Cable News, and guess what? They needed to open a bureau in the Boston Globe newsroom. And they said, well, you've done this before. You have international experience. Could you go to the Boston Globe, um, work in the newspaper as a representative of New England England Cable News, but you will be working with Globe reporters to do segments for our shows, cut-ins for their shows, and develop longer pieces. And so I was fortunate to work with a health reporter named Judy Foreman, and she was doing a, um, a look at a woman who was in hospice care for two years. Her name, her name was Nora Lenahan. And two years in hospice care is a very long time. Yeah. But because of the way um, she recuperated and with the support of hospice, she was able to prepare her family for the thing that nobody wants to talk about, and that is her death. Yeah. So we followed Nora for a year. And um, I got to live through um, her diagnoses, her preparing her family, her ultimate death, her funeral, um, stayed in touch with her friends. And Judy wrote a beautiful uh, magazine piece, and I produced a, a video piece. Wow. And this was you Know very early days still of New England cable news for local news. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm in local cable. I went from right. you know I went from network from, from network. From <laughs> network. <to> now <laughs> I'm in local cable. I always said my career is going to end with me producing the lottery updates, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, the PMG, so it was it was a beautiful piece, it was a very uh, very difficult. Piece to do because she was my age. um, Nora, the woman who died, Mm. Um, she lived in the town I lived in. It was Medford at the time. Wow! And um, you know, it was a very personal piece, and I had just suffered the loss of my father, who we've talked about. He died of cancer, and so this was kind of a um, you know, this was just a different way to see how families handle death. Yeah. You know, my family would just scream and cry. Um, (laughs) as is (laughs) the Italian side. And then we were black for a really long time. <laughs> um, but Nora's family handled it differently. And so I got to witness that and produce a really nice documentary. It was the first documentary, uh, long, long format documentary I produced. And the Peabody committee recognized it and wow. gave gave us an award for it. So that was very wow. exciting.
0: Amazing. Uh, uh, and great work. And that's, you know, again, back to what we were talking about before. This is the type of stuff where, you know, we're missing these type of uh, life stories that is not necessarily a A feel-good piece but it's a reality piece about a real reality piece about what this is what we face and i talk about a lot and i think about a lot that we don't talk about death enough we all know we're not staying here it doesn't work that way but we 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 go and live our lives as if that's never going to happen to us and we just ignore it because we can't deal with it Mm. but at some point that's going to come within your circle of your family or friends and it's going to come for you as well and like you know, rather than ignoring it, it's a really positive thing, I think, to explore the idea of your mortality and your spirituality and what does it mean and why are you here and what what are you gonna do while you're here and all that stuff, right? So
1: it's very it's very difficult um, to to talk about. and um, you know there's there's fear. You know, sure. and, and it's the fear of what you're leaving behind. You know, yeah. the people you're leaving
0: behind, and the fear of the unknown. I think yep. is really the big one, right? Because no, nobody knows what happens next. We've well, got some some reporting and some stories <clears throat> about people with near death experiences and things like that. The but The interesting
1: know. thing about that project for me personally is that you know, as I said, I was very much the objective journalist. Like you know, I'm here to observe. This process. I am not here. You're like an
0: endangered species these days. I'm a dinosaur <laughs> walking the earth.
1: Um, anyhow, but in order to do this story, there had to be some personal input, and yeah. I had many conversations with Nora about this, and you know, it's like you can't really, you can't really put it out if you don't feel it. Sure. you know so well, a piece like that you yeah know, because it would come
0: through that. but
1: I was conflicted. I was really conflicted yeah. and, and it turned out to be a learning you know a learning phase for me but yeah. you know it was a really great project. The problem is when you do a piece about someone dying, the next person who has a documentary about people dying get in touch with you. Oh, <laughs> so boy yeah and you don't want to be stuck the, uh, in that It's uh, yeah. so, a, a tough way to, to so the, to so live. the <laughs> next the next piece I did though was on organ transplantation. Donation and transplantation. Oh wow. oh wow! And and that was um, also really cool and really difficult. And, and that won a national Emmy award, uh, which you what? don't have. Emmy. Which you where's the Emmy? Emmy? How, do we, how come we don't have the she Emmy doesn't on the table? Have the Emmy in her office. Julie, what's going well, you on? You have the Can I go? You have it. you have, <laughs> no, you don't have she it. She has a framed <laughs> thing hung you, on her do, wall. You do, you do not need to get that. <laughs> um, but, Emmy, <laughs> which was which was really great. But again. You know I got to work with the UCLA transplant team
0: wow. Wow. And, and follow Florence.
1: and follow them around for, a, you know, for, for a couple of weeks and and I mean these people what they do is they don't sleep mm-hmm. uh, what they do really does save lives I mean yeah. it, it is amazing sure, yeah. I mean
0: I had a family friend who had his he was very my age and this was 20 25 years ago it was very close to death and Got a liver transplant and, and that, saved him, and he's still alive and has a family. And, and we it's incredible. we
1: worked with a firefighter who was who was waiting for his transplant, and he did ultimately get it. And they still we we're still in touch with him. I still get Christmas cards from them, but it was touch and go. I mean, he was really sick. Yeah, and you know, he was you know he was a well. Big, you have to be in order to be on the list. He right? was this big, burly, you know. California firefighter right and those guys and, are and the, he, yeah. the best and I mean. yeah and, and, and he almost died um yeah so you know and at some point we followed organs you know we followed okay this heart is going here wow. and you know, to see somebody walk across you know an operating room holding a beating heart wow. is really something wow. you, something oh my god. <laughs> and did your cameras <laughs> get into the imagine. operating room oh yeah yes we, we we were in operating rooms yeah I've seen quite a few um transplant surgeries Wow. It, it's it's a miracle
0: so uh, let's stay on that for a minute so i just uh, this last year went through something that changed my perspective on life i had a little cousin that died of cancer oh i'm so sorry and a, he didn't have a really good relationship with his dad so i was like his father figure mentor and you know i was there holding his hand at the end when he oh. was dying at 18 years old and such a gift and, God and to God see him. Yeah. to see dana farber and boston children's hospital and the way that they operate and the things that they do and all of that right and to have we didn't. He didn't really want to have the real conversations, but we sort of hinted around that, you know, about the conversations that, hey, none of us are going to stay here. We're all going at some point, and we should all be aware of that and live our lives to the best of our abilities while we're here. So, you know, that I learned a lot from that experience. But the reason I share that with you is to say, like, those are two incredible experiences you've had. And, again, I want to bring it back to what did that teach you about Life and about yourself or about humanity or any of that like what was the takeaway for you?
1: I mean, it's you know, it's cliche to say, but you know every day's a gift.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know you you should not be doing things that you don't believe in right. uh, You shouldn't be wasting your time with people who don't support you, right? Um, you need to surround yourself with people who love you and you know give back as much as you possibly can Yeah, now do I do that every day? I do a lot of it. I, I can't well, say I give as look, much.
0: All we can do is try every right, day to right, do our best. Right. We're not always going to reach our ultimate best every day because some days we just don't have it. It's like an athlete. They don't have it all the time. What do you mean? <laughs> they didn't train hard enough. What <laughs> right. do you mean? <laughs> but, there's, you know, if you're a baseball fan, I don't know, sometimes a pitcher just doesn't have it that day, and they got to figure it out, right? Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, there's that, and the other thing that I got out of all my experiences over the last few years was that ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of the things that we worry about are incredibly insignificant. Well, you, they're not things you'll be thinking about when you're on your deathbed. Correct. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing for people to hear and realize that, like, it's okay to have those worries and concerns. We're all human. But you got to be able to look past them and realize that this is not what matters. What matters is, like you said, living your life to your best and giving back. You know, Realizing, and this is what I pray and hope for for my nieces and nephews more than anyone because I don't have kids, is that they'll learn the lesson that the more you give to others, the better it is for you. That's what the Dalai Lama calls wise selfishness. And this is a practice that we should all be doing. And I think the world would be a much better place if we all had that awareness that, hey, the more I do for other people, it actually makes me feel good. And it's better for me in the long run.
1: It takes you out of your own head.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned, as, as I told you a little bit about the struggle of changing careers and doing this, you know, there were a lot of nights where I lied staring at the ceiling like, <laughs> am I crazy? What am I doing this for? And the way, the best way I got out of my own head in those moments was to go do charity work and go help people. And I quickly forgot about my BS worries. I know. When you're in the middle of something serious and someone that, you know, really needs help. Right? So
1: I had that very conversation today.
0: (laughs) Good. Yeah. Yes, we had. Um, We can we can talk about this for a brief minute. Then we'll get to some Lex Media stuff. We had Sophia, your daughter, on the podcast. And, um, you know, we talked openly that she's going through a tough time. And I know that obviously as a parent and a caring parent and a a loving person, that's obviously got to be difficult for you to watch your kids struggle. Right.
1: Well, she doesn't realize all the gifts she has, and I think that's something else that you have to take into account. Yeah. is you know it's easy to count up your failures.
0: Yeah. And well, that's it. Most people don't uh, do that, right? They, they, they don't um, we, we as people I find, and I know this for myself and, and witnessing others, it's much more natural or easy for whatever reason to focus on the things that we don't have as opposed to remembering the things that we do have and, and how fortunate we are. For what we have. And, and I think that for young people and all people, and one of the missions of Zelosophy is to get people to explore and find out what your gifts are mm-hmm. so that you can use those gifts, because we all have gifts that we were given, then use those to bring to the greater good. What can you do with those gifts for other people to make things better for other people which again, as we just talked about, will right. in turn make right. things better right. for you. Right, right, right. And so.
1: you know, like, oddly, this kind of brings us. This does bring us back to Lex Media, because that's what one of my decisions in taking this job was. Is like, okay, I have had this fun career. You know, I've worked internationally in journalism and in broadcasting. It's like, yeah, I can teach some people how to do this now.
0: Right. Right. And
1: so. and. So when this opportunity came up, I thought, well, yeah, I guess it probably, I probably should get, you know, probably is an opportunity to give back to the community as opposed to, you know, getting, you know, staying on that wheel and just looking for the next story, the next story, the next story. So no, we should actually.
0: This is a perfect segue because this is how I like to promote things for people: is like, let's hear your story and hear your humanity and what you've been through, just a little piece of it. Now that people know you, they're going to listen to what you're what you're doing and what you're saying. So tell us about Lex Media. What is it? What's the opportunity here in the community?
1: So Lex Media is a um, community media center, and as you've mentioned, we have lots of good equipment, and we have beautiful beautiful studio space, mm-hmm. and we train people um, on our equipment to tell their own stories. Right, and that could be in a podcast, which is where. How we got you yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or it can be uh, it can be you know in a tv show right and we do shows we do cooking shows and why do we do cooking shows it's because cooking you know of eating yeah, this I'm, is I'm looking right at the kitchen <laughs> you know, studio through the window that, here. This is something that this is something that people feel passionately about yeah. and they say, you know, I And sh- something that brings us together it, right, as I, opposed I can, to dividing us. You know, I should show them how I make, you know, Italian wedding soup. Well, yes. And, yes, uh, you should. You should show and, me that right so, after this. <laughs> and so so people come and you know they bring their friends. They they do a little cooking demonstration. Some we've had, you know, pro- professional chefs come in to teach classes here. So we have a, a kitchen studio and we have a regular TV studio, too. And, um, you know, pe- we teach people how to put their story out there.
0: Right. And, and so how do, how, who can become a member here?
1: Anyone who we, we are an organization. We're an independent nonprofit with a contract to the town of Lexington. Mm-hmm. So the town of Lexington, we are the keepers of all their equipment. And we're in community space. So anyone who, is, who lives, works, or goes to school in Lexington can come in to use Lex Media facilities. Now, well, or is
0: th- a member of an organization in Lexington, right. which is Or what a I member am. of
1: an organization. Um, and, and the executive director does have discretion to have sure. other people come in. Uh, sure. um, and um, so we have all this space. We provide space, we provide training, we provide equipment, and importantly, we provide channels. Yes. So we have access channels on all of the cable providers in Lexington: R C N, Comcast, and Verizon. Yeah. So after people. And I pre- don't
0: often say good things about cable companies, <laughs> but they help fund you guys, and that's <laughs> they, a they totally that's fund a us. great thing that they do for the community. Yes. It really is. Uh,
1: yes, I think they do it begrudgingly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for cable companies, anything we'll that it. gets them to do something good for the people. But in they... <laughs> but in exchange
1: for having you know for the right to sell to the citizens of Lexington, they have to pay into um, a subscription fee. Got uh, it. That that is where we get our that helps where we fund get our funding. You guys. So so that's what we do on the um, the big the big part of the picture. Sure. The smaller part of the picture is you know we try to build community too. Yeah. So we do things for schools in the community, um, other organizations in the community. We produce things for them. We provide space for them to um it's not like we hold a lot of like Girl Scout meetings or something here, but we do provide a place for Girl Scouts to um you know, to work on their badges. Yeah. If it's a media related badge. Um we we take interns from some of these schools. Um, and some of them are people with disabilities. So you know so we are a community member too. Right. We also like to build community like if we know there's a couple of people interested in the same subject, you know maybe somebody wants to write and somebody else wants to do lighting or camera, we right. try to match those people up and and build community like that too.
0: yeah. It's great, and uh, you know, uh, I'll just share my experience. Julie, our lovely producer over here, hey, uh, has been after me for a couple of years now, uh, oh, just about a couple of years, uh, to to do a TV show. And I kept saying, ah, you know, she wanted me to do a yoga show or a meditation show. And I'm very interested in both of those things. I practice both of those things regularly, but it just didn't feel right. And and the timing worked out this time when she pitched me that this was uh this would be a great time to explore that and then coming in here and actually starting to see the the space and the people and the studio and the equipment it's like well how come i waited so long (laughs) right like who knew that this was going on here i
1: should mention we built a podcast room too
0: yes (laughs) which we're sitting in right now right um, and, you know, I, again, I've, I've shared this on, on the podcast, but before this, I was doing podcasts on my laptop with yeah. a little USB microphone, yeah. which is great because you can go out and do a podcast anywhere and, you know, did one in a rental car once at, at the beach. <laughs> but it's nice to have this kind of equipment. And like I said, last night I came in here and sat with Terry uh, and he trained me on all the podcasting equipment and software so that... Say there's a guest that I, I have to do a podcast on a specific day and Julie or Terry or nobody could be here. I can come in and run the equipment right. in this professional studio and in this space and do it myself.
1: That's our goal. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and, and I know that. It's not to rely on you guys. Right. It's to right. teach people like me um to do it themselves and you know even yesterday after that we went and we trained on the cameras and I'm thinking like I don't know if I'm gonna how much I'm gonna use these cameras it's kind of intimidating I'm not a you know I was I don't have that kind of education background and like I said I've dabbled in some production but I've never operated a real camera and then he showed me everything on the camera and the equipment and I was like like I said what this am I is, waiting for this is right. amazing this is weirdly <laughs> simple yes And, like, I can take this, you know, $5,000 rig out and shoot things now. That's something I would never... Basically, uh, my other option would be to go get an iPhone 11. And those are really cool, cute little gadgets... But it can't do what that thing can do. I mean, that's a real professional camera. You can shoot movie style or shoot uh, yeah, frames per yeah. second for a TV show or for movie or for Well, film. thank
1: you for demonstrating our value to
0: the community. Yeah, well, I, as you know, I mean, you know, I'm doing this partially as an advertorial for you guys because I appreciate what you've done for me. But as you and I talked about, Florence, when I came here, my goal is, you know, I don't do anything unless there's a mutual benefit to it. That's just the way I try and live my life. And... In this case, that is to show people what you can do here with this space and with this place. Right. right. Um, and so to me, that motivates me to be better and to really try and do my best with this TV show that I'm developing. And the podcast it, it sort of is what it is now, but the equipment is great. And, and I want people to know about that. But I really am driven to make a great TV show, not just for my own per- benefit and for the benefit of the people out there that, you know, I want to teach kids about unity and kindness and all those kind of things but for the benefit of this place so that other people get inspired to go hey you know what I've been I've been thinking about doing this thing and I'm really scared and intimidated by it but maybe maybe it's not so as, as scary and intimidating as I thought it was
1: yeah we try you know we we support our members and we try to be very welcoming I mean you know there are times that it we're just busy you know sure. and and you know and we have a certain number of government meetings um and things we need to do as part of our contract but we just don't have time to work with everybody all the time yeah. which is why we try to we try to get people up on their own right but we're here to support them all the time but how nice is it that you can come in and you can produce a show something that you that you feel strongly about and you feel is doing good for the world and you can share it with them right and not just you know here in Lexington that you know, we're going to put that onto our website. You'll put it on your website. Right. We'll YouTube. put it on YouTube channels. we put it out on Vimeo, wherever we, I mean, Vimeo. Right, um, right. You know it, that you 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 have that outlet. Like you can, it's you can an make a difference. Incredible
0: opportunity. If anybody in Lexington, uh, you know, listens to this, I hope that 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 you consider. It. I mean, even just you know, as we're going through the equipment yesterday, Terry's like, "Well, this is a, a camera rig that we only run, and it's got multiple cameras, and it's got a director's board, and we take this out into the field." And I said, "So what? just <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if I had this really great idea for a multi-camera shoot for this show." And you guys were available, like you would come out and shoot something like that for me. And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely, as long
1: as we can schedule it, right." Yeah. And I was yeah. like,
0: "That is so bizarre, you know, like because again, coming from the entertainment industry, I know how much that would cost. Yeah, yeah, for you, for someone to to want to do something like say someone has this great idea and they want to do it, but how do you get the budget together yeah. for that? I mean, that's a significant shoot." That costs well into the thousands to do something like that where you can really do it almost for free here, right? Again, given scheduling and other constraints. But the the point is that the opportunity is there. And it's an amazing, amazing opportunity.
1: So it's also really important for people to support community access centers. Yes. Um, And one of the reasons is that there have been some changes in the FCC law. And it potentially changes our funding. So all of our funding is done through that cable subscription fee. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody's bill it says, you know, PEG access fee. But the way that is calculated, and we don't need to get into too much of the s- specifics, sure. but the way that's calculated could change and could really harm our funding. Which, if any
0: which, cable lobbyists are out there listening, <laughs> stop doing that. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So
1: we don't we don't charge for membership. Um, we we just we want to encourage people to get sure. in here and membership fees you know wouldn't be that significant in All our right. overall budget right but but if you if you're looking for a place to make a difference access centers are one of those places so
0: how can people do that
1: uh, everyone can take uh, you can donate money um, you can donate time um,
0: and what's the website to donate
1: money? W- we are lexmedia.org Um, and there is a donation button on there. So we're not really tasked with fundraising. I have to do a certain amount of fundraising. But you know, it may get to the point where we actually do have to go out and right, ask, and then that's able, a whole other right. business, and right. you have to bring in a right. whole
0: other additional staff, a development person, right, and right. all that. Right, that, right. I mean, so let's let's hope so and suppo- pray that we don't get there. But so in the support meantime, support your <laughs> local students your local yeah, wherever, wherever you are, and and what even if you're not in Lexington, whether you're in Massachusetts, I think there are these types of uh, media groups every, uh, not everywhere, but in a lot Mo- of towns.
1: Most, um, well nationwide
0: yeah so so everybody should be looking into the opportunities at the local level that you have to produce you know again the iphone 11 cameras are great we all know that we see the ads and all that by the way that tv commercial with the iphone 11 this was shot on an iphone 11 pro yeah there was seven of the (laughs) cam, seven phones and eight camera ops and 12 producers and lighting people and like your video is not going to look like that commercial let's just be clear Unless you bring in professionals to help you. I
1: don't know. Uh, <laughs> you can get some pretty good, a lot of young people have some pretty uh, yeah, and I think pretty that, crazy
0: talent. I think that that's great, right, to have that access that you have it in your pocket and you don't have to come somewhere, somewhere like this. But again, the opportunity to come here and learn uh, an additional skill that you might actually be able to turn into something that you can make money from, right, um, right. right uh, is, is incredible. And you know, to me, again, it's intimidating, even though I'm from the entertainment industry to learn this stuff. But it's also exciting. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to learn how to operate this camera and shoot. And I've been on shoots. So I've watched people do this. I know where to set the camera up and how to turn it around to get the different shot that you can edit in. And You know, like I never knew that until I went to a set. Like I thought that there were just cameras everywhere. No, it's the same camera. And then they they do the scene. They film it this way. They, they turn the they, camera uh, around. They do the scene. They film it this way.
1: They break. They do it from this angle. They, it's really slow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it takes
0: a long time to, yeah. to do it right. But yeah. uh, again, so I think we're just over an hour now. So I think. Oh that, my, so fast, right? Isn't it incredible? Every it time, every time, it, it, it blows me away how fast it goes. So, uh, thank you for your time and and for being. Uh, for sharing your story with us and for sharing this beautiful place with us.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thank you so much for your support.
0: My pleasure. So go to lexmedia.org and check it out. And uh, wherever you live, look into your local media or cable uh uh, programs that you might have opportunities to get involved with.
1: There's all kinds of interesting people out there. <laughs> yes,
0: so let's hear those stories and let's hopefully, God willing, let's make those stories positive so that we show people the good side of humanity. We've seen enough of the bad side of humanity <laughs> I think. Uh, we know what that's like. Let's let's try something different. Right? Alright, so um, that's it for today. Thank, thank you again.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Julie. Thank you both.
0: <laughs> Alright, we'll talk to you soon, guys. <music> Well, that was a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you to Florence Del Santo for being here with us. Um, I just found out after the podcast, well, a little bit right before that she's very modest about this stuff. And, and Julie has been trying to get her to do a podcast about her story for a long time. So I'm honored that uh, she chose the Zosophy podcast to come out of her shell and tell us her story. So thanks to her. Thanks again, as always, to the producer extraordinaire, Julie Minogian, Lex Media employee. Um, and again, thanks to, we did a whole episode really about Lex Media, but thanks to Lex Media for use of the podcast studio, as always. The theme song, Surf, by Captain Blackheart. My dear friends, Dino's like a brother to me. Go check those guys out on iTunes and Spotify, You can find out more about me and zilosophy at zilosophy.org. That's spelt just like philosophy, but with a Z. How about that? You can also email me any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guests at info at zilosophy.org. And don't forget Zilosophy on Golf, which is a book about self-awareness more than it is about golf, but it will help you play better golf too. It's available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. This podcast, you probably know this by now, but available on Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can check out the Zolosophy YouTube channel that's got some videos that I made for a local middle school, but pretty soon you're going to get a sneak peek at the pilot of Zilosophy TV with Uncle Z and Friends, the new show that we're developing here with the help of Lex Media. So stay tuned and look for that. We'll talk to you guys soon. You're welcome.